There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. My, my voice fogged up there. Nice and husky. <laughs> sure was. Oh, keep it all in. Who cares? Uh, hello. Ma- macho manish. Sorry. That, that, wasn't very, that wasn't very macho man. Macho man would be like, I, I can't even do the macho man thing. I'm not going to do it. Please do gonna, macho man. I, I don't think I actually can, uh, but I will say real quick. Do you remember that bit in the Spider-Man film that macho man is in when Spider-Man is training to be Spider-Man and he like has like a, a, a really bad costume and he like, Macho Man's this tough wrestler oh, yes. called Bonesaw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bonesaw McGraw, I believe, was his name. And essentially, um, Spider-Man jumps onto the cage and Macho Man's like, you know, get down here! And then basically Spider-Man says, and I quote, this is the hero of our film, says, that's a nice outfit. Did your husband make it for you? And it's like, wow. Oh, Good stuff. God. Our hero, everybody. And that's the intro to No Encore this week. Hello, my name is Dave Hanready and there will be No Encore. I guess it's fitting that I started off the show talking about movies because this is our Not James Bond special. It's top five alternative James Bond themes because the second time Craig and I ever did a top five, it was in fact our favourite James Bond themes. Craig Fitzpatrick, where do you stand on this whole 007 business? I'm not the world's biggest James Bond fan, um, which is great a good show, start. everybody. <laughs> See you next week. I've, of course, it's so like intrinsic in society, in society, um, and the fabric society, of like us growing up and stuff. That like I have a lot of memories associated with. Of course, I was a, a Brosnan boy. Um, is that the gang, was, was it? The Brosnan boys? <laughs> the Brosnan boys, yeah. Oh no, Clicking our Brosnan fingers boys. down the streets of Leakslip, the, the mean streets of Leakslip. <laughs> yeah, um, so I think Goldeneye was my first, but not in the cinema. I think I was slightly too young. I was young enough that I was a bit confused by was it Fa- Famke Janssen and her... Mm-hmm. 
um, killer thighs. But I was yes. also like, she is clearly the most interesting character in this whole film. Interesting character, um, I agree, yeah. There was, I, no I confusion for, um, there was no confusion for 11-year-old Dave in the cinema, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> yeah, so that, that stuck with me. The, the murder of the Canadian... What was it? Some Canadian like general or something on a yacht. It was great anyway. Tomorrow never dies. He's um, an admiral, Craig. Give him his due. <laughs> my apologies. Um, Tomorrow never dies. Jonathan Price, media mogul. Can't really remember it. Um, <laughs> the world is not enough. Are you going through all the Bond films? Is that, <laughs> Denise is that Richards, now? remember that one was great. Great. Remember, okay. How about we Robert, get on with, uh, Robert Carlyle with the? Didn't you have that thing where the bullet was lodged in his brain, he so he couldn't feel pain? And but I he remember felt emotional as pain though. Yeah, so I was, was actually ironic. eleven years old at that point, and I remember thinking, "This is an extremely gritty film." Jesus, Bond is so gritty. <laughs> and then you know. Next up, Invisible Cars and um, Madonna Electro Clash. And it just got grittier from there. What's your experience with Bond, Dave? Do you, you reckon been we, to um, see the new one? I haven't seen it. Do you reckon we still have listeners? Uh, I have <laughs> been to the new one, as a matter of fact. It's called No Time to Die. No Time to Die. It's out now in the cinemas. We're not sponsored by it or anything. I wish we were. Um, I went to a press screening. Uh, in which oh, la da yeah. Plus well, one, well, was I, it? <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was, in fact, Mick, Mick from the Galaxy's plus one. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I raced to get there after work. It was very it was on a bus, and I was like, "When the fuck is this going to get here?" But across town, there was actually a glitzy affair in the lighthouse cinema that I didn't go to, and which had like people actually like dressed up, and you know they had like a a, a band and stuff, like an orchestra and anything, and you know free drinks and stuff for people. Uh, our good friend brother Yosef was there, but we're not cool like he is. So he I looked amazing be, as well. I've seen he the always photos. does. It's not he fair. Better um, than Bond. That's true, I would agree. Um, but no, instead I went to the Cineworld IMAX press screening and on the way in, it's been so long since I've been to one of those slash talk to people who aren't my friends that like on the way in, there was like a girl there from Cineworld like handing out free popcorn and stuff. Mick yeah. went to the bathroom, which of course left me just like standing next to this girl. And she was like, do you go Don't to much Don't tell me something awkward happened. <laughs> <laughs> Would you believe it? Craig? Here we go. She was like. It's going to settle in. She was like, do you go to, do you go to many of these press events? And I said, <laughs> I'm a journalist. That was my response. I went, yes, I'm a journalist. And then I went, hang on. Are you no, a journalist or a generalist, Dave? Yeah. Because I've been confused between I know, the two before. Yeah. And, I, and I was like, I was like, and then I thought, oh no, wait, that was a stupid thing to say. She knows that because this is a press screening, you moron. And then I went like, oh, yeah, it's been a while. Uh, oh, you know yourself, uh, pandemic. And then I was like, uh, I think the last one I was here for was, was like Venom. And I was just chatting to her and I was like, she's probably like 20. Like, what's going on? Like, I was like, Mick, please come back from the bathroom. Uh, and so I hastily left. But she did say that uh, they were going to get a staff screening of it in Sydney World at like fucking like midnight, either that, that night or the, cool. ne- or the next night, I think, really. But it isn't pretty cool, Craig, because the film's almost three hours long and it's oh. not very good. I will say that much as well. Not a very good film. It was out of focus as well. The, the version I saw was out of focus quite a lot of the time, which was, um, I don't think it was a stylistic choice on behalf of the director, Carrie uh, Joji Fukunaga. I think it was, in fact, a weird framing of the film. Um, Could it be uh, that you, it's been so long you're at a press screening that and because of the pandemic really that your eyes have deteriorated yeah. since then? You haven't upgraded your Well, I've had, like, I've, I've had a rough week on the health front. I actually got a covid test i'm glad to say that it was negative but uh, i've been feeling kind of just stressed out and tired and run down and whatever fucking head colors doing the round but like my eyes have been affected by that and uh, this didn't help but um yeah non-spoiler review uh it's not very good um it's way too long it's kind of joyless it's pretty boring 
Uh, Rami Malek is terrible in it, as you would probably expect. <laughs> Friend of the show. <laughs> Friend of the show. Um, big Bond fan that he is. Um, Adam says, it's half a step above Quantum of Solace. Have you seen the new Bond film, Adam? He's not. Yes, he oh, has, right. Yeah. I didn't know that. You, I didn't know that oh, you yeah. had seen it. Uh, I, I would disagree with that. Uh, having rewatched all of the Daniel Craig films last weekend in order to prepare myself for this new one, the uh, ranking, the Dave Hanready Daniel Craig era ranking from five oh, yeah, down to so. one, from worst to best, would be Spectre, No Time to Die, Quantum of Solace, Skyfall, and the best being Casino Royale, in my opinion. Uh, Adam is shaking his head. He's typing into the, the key Skyfall best. He says, listen, we, we need to move on with the show. I, I um, think Skyfall, I, yeah. I thought that Probably as well, maybe possibly, but I'm not mad about the last act. It gets all... It, when it, it turns into Home Alone. Home Alone, That's my yeah. favourite bit. <laughs> I know, but then you also have that bit where like the Albert Finney is playing what was clearly meant to be Sean Connery and he's yeah. like, welcome to Scotland. And it's like, it's fine. <laughs> it looks unbelievable. <laughs> Roger Deakins does godlike work. I guess we're allowed to talk about this because like that's what the episode is, right? We're not, we're not doing an album review this week. We are doing top five. Top five alternative Bond themes, yeah. Greg. What does that mean? It means songs that we... Like hypothetical... Bond anthems, I guess. Songs that, for whatever reason, have just evoked something in us that makes us go, yeah, do you know what? That would fit seamlessly into that famous kind of title sequence. And we can talk through, I guess, when we get to it, the various elements. Like, I, I was looking through a couple of articles of, like, there is kind of a recipe you can put in place for Bond songs and what you kind of need. Obviously, the kind of brassy sections and, you know, the twangy guitars and just callbacks and the kind of suspense motif. We, we can get into it, but yeah, these songs generally kind of, I don't know, borrow liberty from each other. So it's easy to spot a Bond song. And there's a lot of them out there in the wild that would actually be better than some of the official ones, I reckon. So it should be an interesting one. How did you find the process? Um, went with my gut. Uh, regular listeners to the show will probably not be surprised by my number one because I've mentioned it a million times. Uh, Adam and Craig are both nodding their heads right now, so they probably know what it is. Um yeah, I do think that like with the caveat of like the ones I've chosen, I might need like a an extra bit of, you know, kind of Bond remixing to kind of add some big brassy stuff Same on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think that they serve as evocative of the Bond thing. And in some cases, I think would make for better. I even tried to like match them up to like what era they would be. And I even tried in some cases to come up with like titles and plots and stuff. And then I got a bit bored of that. Are we getting so. into... Oh, okay. I was like, this is going to be a long episode when you have a very early shift. Well, well yeah, I do. I'm up a fucking high six tomorrow so real quick um patreon plug of course it's patreon.com slash no listener if you'd like to help support the show you get bonus monthly episodes in the form of no ox cord our recommends corner we'll be recording another one of those pretty soon it hasn't been too long since we did the last one because we were very overdue but i am already putting down my picks for the next episode uh, it's a fun time helps us out if you want to support the show no obligation do tell your friends though if you like the show at the very least because word of mouth is great and thanks for all your continued support also, yes. Adam has a brand new episode out right now of Before the Encore. It's the third episode in which he speaks to Beatmaker by the name of Siv. It's a lengthy, in-depth, incredible conversation, as always, from Adam. So if you're interested in the kind of behind-the-scenes look at the music industry with people who do... I, I, I guess, I, I think the whole point of this is that like to try and shine a light on people who may not shine it upon themselves, really. I think Adam's in a really good position to do that. So check out Before the Encore on the main feed if you have yet to. We'll have a new No Popcorn next week on Annette. And that's the preamble, Bond theme edition. But for now, a man who could maybe play Bond someday, hit it. <laughs>
Hey, you heard about the good news? I don't think Kanye West will actually play James Bond someday, but you never know. It could happen. Um, One man that definitely won't, Dave. I can't believe you're doing that link. I was considering it, but go on. <laughs> or Kelly. Well done, Craig. He's going down. He's going he to prison. Going Ladies and yeah. gentlemen, we got him to, yeah, I guess, long quote, overdue, by the way. quote an alleged war, war criminal. But yeah, um, it's great news, I guess, because it seems like justice has very much been served. Um Went down on a racketeering charge, um, comprised 12 individual criminal acts and yeah, found guilty of like eight violations of this man act in, in a Brooklyn court involving the transportation of a victim across state lines for criminal sexual activity. Just uber grim, horrendous stuff. He's facing 10 years to life in prison. Um, going to be sentenced in May of next year. He was found guilty of all charges against him, um, which he'd been first indicted over three years ago at this point. Pled kind of not guilty. And it was amazing to see the defence right up until the end um, gaslight the world and just be like... He's just kinky. Stop kink shaming him. It's like his kink is racketeering, uh, apparently. But yeah, justice served and... I guess um, the acting US attorney um, made a statement and it's a pretty good summation, I guess. Today's guilty verdict forever brands or Kelly as a predator who used his fame and fortune to prey on the young, the vulnerable and the voiceless for his own sexual gratification. A predator who used his inner circle to ensnare underage teenage girls and young women and men for decades in a sordid web of sex abuse, exploitation and degradation. So, yeah about sums up the whole sorry mess awfulness um and yeah let's hope he goes down for a very long time yeah fuck that guy may he rotten piss and if you uh-huh. haven't taken ignition remix off your playlist just yet now might be the time it's over yeah it's over <laughs> Sadly, um, it's, well yeah. Also over this week, um, I mean, like, listen, Craig, if these guys can't make it, oh, who can? What a, another link, yeah. <laughs> Grimes and Elon Musk are semi-separated. Um, this might be the wholesome news story of the, <laughs> the I'll give section. you a wholesome news story after this one. Um, okay, but, okay. But, but yeah, uh, but there's not much of a story, is it? Like, I mean, like, uh, Hollywood's they still love each other very weird much, couple, so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the billionaire and the soon-to-be playable Soul Calibur character, as we found out when Grimes appeared oh, yeah, at the course. Met Gala in an incredible costume. And yeah, I guess nice enough. Uh, they, I, you know, unless you're deeply anti-capitalist and hate Elon Musk. Um, ding, ding, ding. They're semi-separated, but still love each other very much. They see each other frequently and are gr- on great terms. Um, keeping it together for little baby X. Um, and yeah, there's been various page six um, updates on this. Grimes giving jokey updates on her, um, you know, when they colonize the, the moon of Saturn, Neptune, Europa, whatever um, planet or planet has that as a moon. She's going to be opening up a lesbian commune or something hilarious instead of Elon's place. Um, but yeah. We wish them well, I guess. Do we? No, maybe. Do we? <laughs> I, I, I think it's immaterial, really. I'm so conflicted. Um, yeah, yeah, it doesn't it's matter. Fine. Don't worry about it. Um, I feel like being semi-separated when you know you're living in those kind of lush circumstances is is there much difference in your day-to-day life? Like we know Elon Musk from those. He he did one of those ridiculous articles that appears in the likes of like Business Insider, where it talks about like celebrities punishing you know daily schedules where they get up at ridiculous times. Oh, and yeah, he was just like in sleeping in his office and like, you know, <laughs> I guess, you know, spending most of his workday tweeting, but ostensibly working, like how much did they actually see each other? 
That's what I'm saying. Well, I'm glad that you're asking the hard questions, but uh, I will say before we move I'll on to our next... I'll make a few calls and we'll have an update next sure, week. Sure, <laughs> sure. <laughs> before, um, before we move on to our next story, which is also uh, love-related, I should say, um, <laughs> I should say real quick, um, Overhead the Albatross are teasing a comeback, by the way. Have you noticed this? They put what? Out, Where? Yeah, yeah, it's happening. They put out a, an image on, on their social media account. Uh, the wonderful Overhead the Albatross, one of Ireland's best bands. Oh my God. Craig, Craig is picking up his phone now frantically <laughs> to look for this. Um, of course... Um, they released one album today Color Integral which made it into my top five one and done albums and now so therefore I'm obviously against this move they can't come back I put them in one and done albums can we albums. go back and rework episodes do a cameo because I've got a few so. I just want to take a look at as well <laughs> I will say that while I obviously welcome this news and everyone should because they're a phenomenal band and it will be great to have them back in whatever capacity that takes shape I do hope that Cooler Heads prevailed and the craven and gutless Vinnie Casey has in fact been removed from the band because that itself is a long time coming and nobody needs that back in their lives. Just a bad egg. A bad egg. I mean, you think you know somebody, but apparently you don't. And I guess you think you might know Stevie Van Zant of uh, The Sopranos and Bruce Mm. Springsteen fame. Little Uh, Stevie. He he hit the headlines this week for an an, an interesting reason. He said he developed a temporary addiction to Menage a Trois and his new (laughs) memoir, Unrequited Infatuations. That's what he says. It was a sexually liberated time. Uh, This is another page six story. We're getting very gossipy. This week, very we American gossipy. I love it. Uh, Stevie Van Zandt, who seems to be like a nice dude, maybe possibly, who knows? Um, he said, the '70s. There's never been anything quite like it. Honestly, it was a wild time. Women were truly, truly liberated there for a minute. I mean, it was a really <laughs> wonderful time to be alive. So you know, Menage Trois were not that unusual. Um, but he said, turns the falling into Tom in- Jones, sir. <laughs> he said maybe fall- he was there as well. <laughs> so the falling in love with his now wife ultimately changed that. So it's a happy story. He also went on to talk about the Sopranos. Because uh, I guess you can't interview him and not ask about the Sopranos. Yeah. Um, he said that David Chase initially wanted him to play the role of Tony Soprano. Uh, and HBO apparently balked at this correctly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that sounds less believable than the Menage a Trois. I know. Mean, yeah. It's not, <laughs> not a chance. <laughs> like, um, yeah. <laughs> no way. And complete did, complete does, fiction. Did he then ultimately recommend James Gandolfini? Is that what he's saying? Or was it? Yeah, I think yeah, it is. Yeah, he said that. Yeah, yeah. Which I, um, again, and the rest is history. Again, um, I have to wonder. Like, that's one of those things where that's very Hulk Hogan-esque to me, where it's like, yeah, there's no one here to defend themselves. You're spinning a tall tale. James Gandolfini can't turn up and be like, actually, no, uh, he had nothing to do with it. But who knows? In Maybe fairness, he, he, he does end, um, like he's he's got one foot in reality. He says, eventually the right thing happened. Thank goodness. So I think that's even good. he knows the right decision was made. Yeah. Are you going to watch the uh, you know what's the Sopranos movie? Are you? Um, no, I haven't heard great things. Mm, I was listening to the radio the other day, um, and I listened to Ryan Tuberty's show on RT Radio One, and he started off in a very bizarre. I, I don't listen to it very often. I've started listening to the radio in the morning again for work, and it's like uh, he went on this weird. Like he was like, "Oh, he's like I watched The Omen with my eldest child at the weekend," and I was like, "Okay, interesting way to start a show." Weird phrasing as well. My eldest child. Uh, he just said this. eldest actually, so maybe it was maybe it was an older member okay. of the family. I don't know, but he said, um, uh, "He also <laughs> said he, he said he's my eldest." <laughs> The village he elder. has a family, yeah, village elder. He goes to the <laughs> he, cinema. He lives, he lives a Skyrim esque life. Does Ryan Tuberty? Uh, see, they're doing a Bob Geldof trivia special on the Late Late Show this week, by the way. Oh, an my entire, dad's mate. 
Yeah, the entire episode is, is, is Bob Geldof. And do you know who's on it? Do you know who's Not Bob Geldof, I'd imagine. No, he is with his family. Oh, of course, any excuse to talk about so, himself. Lovely so, guy, though. So, so is a pre-recorded message from Michael D. Higgins. Uh, another president yes. is, is there. Mary Robinson's going to be there. But what's amazing is they're bringing in, and, and like, if the press release was like, some of his, 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 uh, his illustrious friends, including Sting. Oh my God, I was going to say Sting. I should have said it. <laughs> Who turned 70 this weekend, I believe. Happy Sting. birthday, Sting. Sting Van Morrison apparently uncancelled oh, and back on Jesus. the couch and then it's a do you reckon he'll go off script and just start talking about the no, fucking prison planet we live in and shit like that I think he'll keep it I think he'll keep it a uh, hundred and then it said it said and Ringo didn't say star just said Ringo so there you go well Ringo, I mean Ringo's gonna be there he should be top billing apparently so I'll apparently, watch it for Ringo he's bottom billing um how did I get on? Th- oh yeah, Ryan Tubby was talking about uh, he went to see the Many Saints in New York and didn't enjoy it essentially, and he, he had this whole spiel about you know going to the cinema and he's like sitting there on my own and it was incredible, and then people came in and it kind of ruined the bus, but uh, you know, and he was like bad film, um, and it was like he said that he recently rewatched all six seasons of The Sopranos. I can't picture this. Can you? Can you picture Ryan Tubby settling in and watching Sopranos? Oh, I think I can. I think that's very <laughs> much in his wheelhouse. Do you okay. know what I mean? It's like it's like you're across the board approved like this was the start of the golden age of television but it's not that edgy do you know anymore mm-hmm. it's kind of dad watching yeah I can I can picture it dad watching um, well I don't know I, I did see Ryan Turberty at a festival once saw my electric picnic he gave me a smile I don't know if he's attended was he pissing MDMA <laughs> into a river Dave <laughs> why don't you clarify that one and explain so that we don't get he was sued. not because the festival was not Glastonbury and Ryan Turberty does not take drugs and it's just simple Simply a comedic link to our next story. Glastonbury, not so fucking wholesome please, after all. Please don't come for us, for the legal department. Thanks. Sponsors, um, Yeah, so th- this story is basically um, a case of rare eels getting dangerously off their tits on drugs, and Dave is using it to take another stab at Michael Evis and the whole Glastonbury What, with my thing, headline right? that I wrote down, which was... <laughs> which one. I did like it, yeah. What's Glastonbury, not so fucking wholesome after all, eh? A. I'll read it twice. Oh, was that an A? <laughs> Yeah. would have gone A-Y question no. mark, but okay. E-H question mark is... is so anyway, you know, a? <laughs> story. Scientists have found what they called environmentally damaging levels of illegal drugs in the river running through Glastonbury Festival owing to public urination on the site. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a bit, or it was a lot of MDMA and cocaine as well. <laughs> I am shocked by this story, mainly because, um, like, I, I didn't realise urine could contain that much that it would be a pollutant well now you know now and i know but we're better just baffled we're better for it to happen than everyone's favorite wholesome time the festival of festivals heaven on earth itself <laughs> um you would like, apparently they've got like lots of great facilities but you know it's a festival so people are going to like you know are going to do it. i just thought it was funny because again like i say people hold glastonbury in such a bizarre regard granted i've never been there maybe i'm just being that guy but it's just over the years. Like I mean, people, I would, I would, you know, I would say that a lot of people hold it in such high regard because there's the potential to start pissing MDMA into the open air yeah, at point. any moment. Do you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, I hope the the eels are okay. <laughs> Apparently, the, M- the MDMA was damaging to them. It then says the cocaine, the levels of cocaine were not considered harmful to aquatic life. Excellent. Just like. Just, yeah, it was like an aquatic studio 54 having a great time. <laughs> Here, listen, you've um, you put together the next couple of stories, so why don't you tell me about them? Because I didn't have time to read them. 
<laughs> do you want to read my headline for next one? Because I was also kind of proud of this. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd love to. Crowbarred in a bunch of Craig, puns. <laughs> Craig has written the following uh, in big, bold block capitals. Smooth criminal ensures Equatorial Guinea won't stop till they get enough uh, COVID vaccines. So money from Michael Jackson memorabilia seized from the vice president of Equatorial Guinea is set to help pay for COVID-19 vaccines in the African country. Um, so around 27 million uh, worth of assets were confiscated from this Theodoran uh, Obiang guy who is the son of, you know, the de facto despot in this country. And basically... The U.S. had accused him of purchasing items in the U.S. with money that was obtained through corruption. He's disputed the claims. It should be pointed out as well. Um, our legal representatives are <laughs> telling us to do that. But yeah, amongst kind of like, I think he had like, he had a Malibu gaff, which he is no longer allowed to keep, sadly. He had various kind of luxury vehicles. He also had a pair of $275,000 jewel-encrusted gloves that had belonged to Jackson, which is like, I, I don't know, do I kind of like the thought of this guy being a huge Michael Jackson fan? I'm kind of hoping there was a bit of like money laundering going on, as there always is, but he was maybe a bit of a sweetheart and just a massive kind of pop music fan and he wasn't like a... What was it, Uday and Kusaf kind of horrible, horrible bloke. Um, but I, I guess being a Michael Jackson fan doesn't preclude you from that either, does it? Yeah, I mean, did I ever tell you the time when I was in um, I was in a local Dublin pizzeria, D Fontaine's? Uh, why am I like advertising lots of other places that will never spend a dime on this show? Um, <laughs> good pizza though, it has I to be tried. Yeah, um, I was there one night and I was with a, uh, with a friend of mine and we were in the queue and for whatever reason, this is, I think this was pre those documentaries about Michael Jackson, so there was still enough of a cultural cachet that people, other people were still in denial, I think, about everything. Um, right. And we're in the queue for Fontaines, and like my mate was like, he's like, have you really listened to Michael Jackson though? Like, when was the last time you listened to Thriller? Or when was the last time you listened to this or that? Or all these deep cuts? And I was like, oh, look, I said, even beyond the whole, you know... Uh, bad stuff. Uh, I was yeah. like, I'm not really. You, I'm just, you, you don't mean bad's the album, which should be pointed out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> um, I was like, even beyond all that, um, I'm not really a big fan. I was like, obviously the bangers are the bangers, but for whatever reason, it's just it's not something I'm going to tr- throw on, and especially now in the current climate. Um, this but, is more of a Prince show, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then a friend, absolutely. Um, and then a friend of mine. Yeah, the only controversy I want to hear about is by, is by, <laughs> yeah, is by yeah. Prince Rogers Nelson. So essentially, what happened was my mate was like, he's like, man, I'm telling you, he's like, the guy's like the greatest of all time, and I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And he goes, look, I'll prove it. And I went, okay. So he turned to the guy in the queue in front of him who looked. A bit rough, you know, like, like, like he might, he might, he, like, like he didn't, didn't look like he wanted to be bothered, you know? So my mate uh, taps this guy hard on the shoulder. Guy turns mm-hmm. around, bracing for a fight. And my mate says to this stranger, Michael Jackson. And the stranger's face softens and he goes, the king of pop. Oh, <laughs> and I was like, what's happening? <laughs> what is actually happening? <laughs> So, I mean, you know, at least the music can bring people together. Um, yeah. Hey, I will say, Craig, um, yeah, I will say the, the glove element of your story intrigued me. Do you think there might be like a, I don't know, like a motion picture in that or anything? Well, I'm sorry, Dave, if you were working up a script um, <laughs> as, I, as I linked to this next story with you. Um, sadly, the idea is taken. Bob Mortimer, Mortimer has confirmed that filming for his forthcoming uh, comedy with Vic Reeves about Michael Jackson's glove will go ahead next year. It's entitled The Glove, 
Um, it's received financial backing from um, with sorry three years ago got backing it's got director Tim Kirby on board who'd previously worked on Fleabag and stuff um, so yeah they're filming next March and Mortimer says that he, meaning Jackson, had a training glove and few people knew of it, but it was what gave him his special powers to entrance the globe and a collector's got it and we're hoping to have a big star in it. So the synopsis seems to be they star as like childhood friends who own a junk shop and they like get into a bit of monetary trouble and they're tasked with tracking down this mythical training glove. That's Michael Jackson's and I love... Vic and Bob so this is probably could be great but it's a weird one isn't it and again still on board with Michael Jackson I, I mean, maybe there's not too many iconic like items from the musical world that you can kind of have as your big like cachet moment right like what are you going to go with Pharrell's uh, gigantic hat or something I don't yeah, know yeah 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 well, well that could be a top five all on its own Craig and as a matter of fact <laughs> I think we should skip the Let's John Lydon giving out about things story and just go straight to the main event <laughs> straight to the main <laughs> event this week so there is no album review because we didn't think there was anything worth talking about and we wanted to get stuck into this one it's top five alternative James Bond themes now Craig what, what what makes a good James Bond theme or a bad one for you? What do you think? And I know you said you're not a big fan of the franchise, but I know you like the music. I do, yeah. Um, it's There's been a wealth of amazing songs produced over the years and it's inspired kind of whole kind of genres of themselves. And lots of artists have a go, as we're probably going to hear. Okay, key elements. So I was doing some research. Um, yeah, I was doing some research. I appreciate that. So Here's a quote listener. from author and Bond expert Nick Parhouse, who was asked about the theme songs. And he said, they're little more than advertising jingles for the movies, <laughs> seeking to identify the films with big songs, big voices and big stars. It's always been about marketing exposure, not artistic vision. So that rules out maybe a bunch of mine, probably most of yours. And um, <laughs> yeah, I guess that's fair. But there's been a lot of kind of big artists attached. There's also this weird thing that we might get into where actual major stars will kind of almost audition to do the songs and you know come up with their own so they could maybe possibly feature but what you're looking for in terms of signatures were established by you know Monty Norman's uh, James Bond team where you have dramatic kind of orchestral stabs they're kind of cool and kitsch kind of noir like that spy genre obviously um, and then you have from like from Russia with Love on, you've John Barry, the legendary kind of composer who really brought um, all the kind of elements we know. So again, the kind of brassiness, the mix of jazz, twangy guitars, that suspense motif. So like the descending four note thing that all of those songs seem to have, and I think has been used in probably a lot of these songs that we're going to listen to as well. And then like there's loads of exceptions to the rule, I guess. So you can mess around with the format and do a kind of. I don't know, McCartney, Live and Let Die, Rocker Thing, or most of the 80s songs. Lyrically, you're looking for, I guess, something a bit, apparently, exotic, decadent and powerful. Stuff like, you know, The Man with the Midas Touch, beckoning you to enter his web of sin. And But um, don't go in, Craig. Yeah, and years ago, maybe some amount of sexism as well, because it is Bond. Get out of town. But, um... <laughs> There's a lot of kind of feminist tomes that have looked at this and said that a lot of the kind of big female singers that have tackled Bond songs bring to bear their personality in such a way, you know, the Bassies, Springfields, Dusties of this world and, you know, Adele, 
that they Tina kind of Turner, almost of undercut yeah, Tina Turner, yeah, for sure. Um, Billie Eilish, who, who I thought Cheryl did a great Crow, job. Shirley Manson. Uh, the list goes on and on. <laughs> I'm just picking out my favourites now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sorry. But they kind of undercut the character, right? So a lot of these songs are like, they might be unrequited love, but they're also like, do you know what, Bond? You're a piece of shit. Um, but you're I a bit you. worthless. You're going to, yeah, you're, you're going to save the world, but you're going to let us all down as well. And I think that's kind of a thematic thing that will run through maybe a few of these songs as well. So, all right. Yeah. That enough for you? Yeah, it's loads. I, I really <laughs> cool. enjoyed that. I, I'm sorry for stepping all over you, but I was just, I, I was getting excited, you know. I think this could be a really fun one. Um, yeah. I did note good. off mic, by the way, um, before we started recording, I said that I had a real selfish choice situation, that I had like six. Uh, I found it really hard to get this down to five, and I had to had to make a tough decision. Um, so I'll wait and see what your list is and see if the one that I left out makes it. I don't want to spoil it ahead of time, but one has to go. However, you countered by saying that you have six clips this week, so I guess you should go first. <laughs> but we're only playing five, but yeah, I'll, I'll go first. Um, I had a Sophie's Choice on one particular number, but I'm going to let you make that choice for me. <laughs> I think it's an obvious choice. Maybe I'll just play the clip that I was going to go for anyway. But before we get to that, my number five. So yeah, as I was listening to all these kind of songs that, you know, you'd go on websites and people were suggesting stuff and they had a lot of those elements I just mentioned. They can be great songs, but they can feel a bit like parodies and it becomes this nondescript wash of like lovely but still nondescript jazz and big brassy numbers. And I thought some moments you kind of need cut through, right? So um, you said, Dave, you were thinking of like actual films and stuff and moments this could really work. So I got to thinking of uh, Casino Royale, Bond reboot, that opening scene, you know, bathroom thing, end of James's innocence, um, making that kind of kill and, you know, suffocating that dude, smashing up the bathroom stalls, um, your man not quite gone, then shooting him. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, Chris Cornell cutting in then, and you're a big fan of that song. I've had my issues with it. I just think it wasn't quite right for a Bond thing. It's probably the best And you're maybe going to think I'm, you might think I'm crazy for my selection, but I think a better call... And I'm going to make a point of like how this could have affected history as well for the better. Could have been a familiar riff and then this entering. A seven nation army couldn't hold me back. They're going to rip it off. Taking their time right behind my back. And I'm talking to myself at night because I can't forget. Casino Royale. <laughs> really? That's a point I'm going to make. That's a point I'm going to make. Fuck, I feel like um, I'm stepping all over you. If I people apologize. aren't aware um, of this little ditty, it's the White Stripes, Seven Nation Army. Yeah, a riff that's probably as iconic as, uh, definitely is, as the Bond theme at this point, right? And I think for this movie in particular, the reboot, going for kind of a bit more grit and realism, um, then, you know, the films I experienced in my youth, that masculine thing, they weren't going for a kind of a sappy love song. I, I felt like um, 
the song chosen was overly grungy and slightly Americanized to me. Uh, it's a point I've made before, you know, a well-constructed song, but lacking a bit of deafness cut through in the bluster. And I think this, yeah, this is like a hypothetical Seven Nation, Seven Nation Army to me, just like the point you were making, because if people aren't familiar. Um, Jack White has said many times that he came up with that guitar riff uh, during a sound check and was like, that is my James Bond riff. If I ever get the chance to do a James Bond song, I'm basing the song completely completely around this and it just works. It should be, I think it's actually very close as well to some of the themes in um, on our uh, Majesty's Secret Service, which kind of fits in beautifully. And it does kind of have that sound. In the event, he wrote it in like 2002, the White Stripes weren't big enough for him to be asked. Ironically, this song made them big enough for him to be asked. And he came up with a far inferior song with Alicia mm-hmm. Keys. Um, but I just think this kind of works, right? Because it's like, it's the reboot thing. They're going for something completely different to the Brosnan era. It's, you know, lyrically, you've got some of those, some of the imagery that you would associate with bond against the world and finding his place in End of Innocence and it's from his voice rather than a kind of female character. You've got the Queen of England, Hounds of Hell. You've got, I think in that guitar work as well, what you're doing is you're not doing a big kind of Shirley Bassey vocal chorus, but you're matching that kind of big moment that a lot of these songs should have but it's transplanted to like a guitar solo. So it's kind of subversive, but still in keeping with the heritage because it's still like a rock song. And yeah, as I'm saying, I do think, right, if you have this song in that film, the White Stripes still explode, right? They still get big. You still have Jack White and all of that if you're a lover of everything he's done since. Seven Nation Army is so associated with Bond and beloved that it does not become a terrorist anthem because just why would people start singing a Bond song? It makes no sense. You just associate it with all those great Daniel Craig moments. So we don't have to put up with that stuff. And then we don't get another way to die, the Quantum of Solace thing. And that leaves a gap for other potential options. And it's just, it just all fits into place. <laughs> okay, I spent a lot of time thinking about this. Yeah, no, yes. I, I, I can tell. And I, 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 I recognize and I applaud this. And I will say that you have... You've won me over a bit in your closing argument there. Uh, it was a nice, yeah. a nice little sign off. Apart, I think it's a ballsy choice. Apart from that, though, I, 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 I have you to. Hate ca- it. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't. I don't hate it, but I have to categorically, respectfully disagree because I have to defend my boy Chris Cornell. I think you know my name is incredible. Uh, I love it. I know what you're saying. It's a bit grungy. It's very American. Like, I think it could have worked. If it was in a Brosnan film, I think it would have worked. I just think for that tone of like Casino Royale, where you're you're moving it into almost okay. So we nearly said art house there, of course not. <laughs> but them looking for some critical acclaim finally. Hey, Mads Mikkelsen's in it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I just think something with a bit more, something a bit less obvious. And I know this is like a big dumb riff, but it's just a, it would have been a left enough turn at the time. I think it would have really suited the mood. Okay. And it gets you going. Like it would go, yeah. you can imagine well, this, can't well, you? Over well, I a kind can. Of like and I, I was literally I was literally picturing I think what I what I need to do after this podcast is I need to put it on and put the intro titles of Casino Royale on and put that on mute and play this over and see how it works. But I do also get the thrust and the jolt and the electricity from the Chris Cornell song that I love so dear. Uh, but this Fair. is good. This is the kind of contentious, you know, shocking back and forth I wanted from this <laughs> very serious list that we're putting together. So uh, for me, I'm glad that you used the word electro clash at the start of this episode. You're talking about... I usually do, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> we should get that on the bingo card. Um, so... <clears throat> 
you were referencing Madonna's pretty risible Die Another Day yes. theme song for a pretty risible film, uh, but kind of fascinating in how just shocking it is. Uh, so I, my number five, I think, would fit actually right in in that era. I think this is a Brosnan. I think this is that style. Bond goes a bit sci-fi, sexy and okay. cool. And yeah, I think it has to be this one for me. So that's uh, the brilliant Kalela. That's K-E-L-E-L-A for anyone who doesn't know who she is. The song is called mm. Blue Light. It's taken from her record Take Me Apart, which came out in 2017, which I think is a fabulous album. She's a really interesting artist. I think we saw her at Forbidden Fruit one year in the mid-10s yeah. and she was great. Amazing. And she's an artist who I keep waiting to be bigger than she is. I keep waiting for her to just absolutely break out and be massive. Um, she does amazing stuff. That record is fantastic. Really beautiful kind of 90s throwback hip-hop R&B and just... A, a bit of electro clash in there as well and like i just to me like i, I did when i thought of this one and i threw it on i was like oh yeah i can see the titles like i can see like especially like when the song just kind of like comes in with a bit there i'm like yeah perfect like and i can see brosnan like you know chains that can fall down like you can you can do so much of this imagery but again it, it actually <laughs> yeah, ties yeah, back yeah. into what Steel you were blue i'm seeing mm. totally yeah a lot yeah, of that. so yeah it's called blue light and i was thinking like well if it wasn't dying of the day I don't know. Maybe the film could be called like colorblind or something, and like the villain, <laughs> like the villain can't see properly or something, and Bond has to outwit him in the dark, or you know. But or, I think you're. Right. I think it would almost have to be this era for some reason, right? Mm, this mm. doesn't work in the Daniel Craig era. I don't think it does. I thought. I, I wondered if it did, and I think. I think it's more of a Brosnan. I think it's more of a kind of turn of the it's century. Too, it's too European. It's too. Yeah. You know. It's still. We're still in the EU, and <laughs> <laughs> we're in touch with our feminine side. It's not the kind of brooding. But, you know, still sensitive proof that is Daniel Craig, I guess. Yeah. And again, like like with a lot of these, like it might need a little oomph extra added underneath it just to kind of bolster it into a third act because it's kind of, it's it's, it's a repetitive little song, but I think it's a great song. Um, but I think it actually harkens back to what you were just saying a moment ago about how like uh, a female vocalist can actually capture the Bond thing while simultaneously criticizing him, but also underpinning the vulnerability thereof. And this yeah. is a very vulnerable song uh, and video and a lot of Kalela's work is like this. Um, she's a very kind of direct, emotive artist. I think she captures things incredibly well. And I think the sonics of her work is also extremely uh, accomplished and interesting. And yeah, I just like, I was like, yeah, Blue Light, this is it. Like I can, I can, I can see those credits. Like, you know, and that was, a, that, that was a big one for me. It was like, can I visualize this? Can I tie it to an era? And absolutely, this would have been, this should have been Pierce Brosnan's swan song. But it wasn't. It was fucking die another day instead. My only thing is the scene preceding that. I'm trying to imagine like the high octane thing. And then this is slightly kind of like 4am-ish. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's a slight tonal takedown. So I think you'd probably just need another beat or two in that scene to kind yeah. of bring us down. But, but I'm sure you can do that, it, Dave. Work, keep working on the rewrite. <laughs> Listen, I went I went see No Time to Die this week in the Billy Eilish song. I, mean, I will say like it, it simultaneously worked and didn't work, you know. Okay. And I, and yeah. I like that song. I was going to ask, actually, yeah, what's it like in the context? Um, without giving too much away, there's a uh, emotion moment and it's kind of quiet and down which kind of suits the start of the song because it doesn't have bombast it isn't coming out of well there is obviously an action sequence but it, it, it isn't coming out of an explosion it's coming out of an emotional explosion um and there's like kind of 
two characters going <laughs> going in different directions and that's the thing and then when it kind of when it kind of comes over the soundtrack i was i was like oh yeah that's actually really nice that's actually really really good but then the more the song went on i remember like my i remember like back in joe my editor being like um he was saying that it didn't have a lift for him. I think a lot of people had that criticism that the song doesn't have a lift. And I was like, no, I, I do like it a lot, but it didn't have the, the requisite lift on the screen that I thought it would. It was nice. It was pleasant. It was cool to finally see it in that context after a year and a half, like, um, of the song being out, but something was missing. Okay. Interesting. Um, my number four is, yeah, there's no kind of like timey-wimey hijinks here. Um, it's maybe similar to your pick in terms of, I think it's an artist who was totally modern, kind of way ahead of her time, but also could do the kind of grandeur of like the best bonds. And I think around the time, um, this is a Brosnan one, this is early Brosnan, <laughs> that kind of era, when they were trying to do maybe more modern stuff and getting it not hopelessly wrong, but it just kind of seeming quite jarring. I think this totally fits and would have just updated the franchise sound in a way that was kind of seamless. So here it is. It's play dead, um, and yeah, taken from and I, yeah, it was it was actually on a soundtrack. It was um, the Young Americans, this crime drama back in 1993. It's been like a bonus track on debut, so it was just like she was known at the time really from the Sugar Cubes, her Icelandic pop group. And people, when they heard this, were like, "Oh my god, she's just like this, just totally elevates her." And now, of course, this seems like you know your standard issue masterpiece, Bjork, and yeah, t- totally. I think those you know. Icelandic roars would be perfect for Brosnan's like silhouette tumbling into a volcano or something. Um, my only thing is like, is Bond from this era good enough for this song? Um, because, you know, there was less conscious grabs for art at the time. Um, maybe it would have totally elevated it. But I do think the interesting thing with Bjork is like, you know, then she started doing a lot of songs that could have worked in this vein as well. By 1997, you've got like Bachelorette, I think would work really well as well. But she always uses kind of interest, interesting instrumentation. There's incredible strings there. There's like, you know, there can be timpani, um, accordions going on. She's always though using kind of quite like earthy instruments and materials to like sound like she's constructing a spaceship. So I just think it would have been seamless. And also maybe a reason it would have been seamless was that um, she worked on this with David Arnold, who is well known for composing a lot of stores, uh, scores for um, Bond films. And he was working on um, that crime drama. So that kind of makes a lot of sense. But yeah, I think she would have been a perfect artist for them around this time if they'd been braver, if she'd been maybe bigger, but it was not to be. Uh, this is a knockout choice. Uh, I didn't. Ah, thank you, sir. I, for some, for I mean, like I, I kind of had my list put together pretty fast, um, and for some reason, I didn't think of Bjork, which I now see as a real omission, because there's so much there in her catalogue that is so orchestral, so balletic, so skyscraping and amazing that way that like it's kind of shocking that yeah, as you say, like she's kind of an outsider artist for someone who can play the three arena. Um, 
but yeah, that's now, now I desperately want her to do a Bond theme, <laughs> like an official and one. And she's also got like a lot of artists I was listening to that people would always say of like, this just sounds like a Bond theme. So many of them, and I might have picked some of them, are kind of quite like, again, noirish and kind of um, the lyrics can be a bit despondent and it's all kind of like, you failed me. But I think there's something in Bjork that even when, you know, there's a lot of emotion going on, there's some kind of hope and joy to the sound. So it feels like a big blockbuster, right? And you, you couldn't have teed me up better for what I've got <laughs> next. This is outstanding. Because like, first of all, right, um, I will say that my next, like <laughs> the, the next three I have, uh, there's a weird common link in there, which is totally unintentional. Um, but I will say that like, the next one I have, uh, I think, has a lot of hope in it. And that might be unusual for a Bond theme. But I think, first of all, uh, it's kind of, it's shocking to me that this act haven't done a Bond theme. And I reckon that they desperately want to do one. Second of all, this is unquestionably tied to one era and one era only. So let's go. Sex on fire, Kings of Leon. <laughs> Don't spoil it. <laughs> if you ever feel neglected You think that all is lost I'll be counting up my demons Yeah Hoping everything's not Sonic Architect album there stealing in by essentially saying that this could be a ripoff of uh, Nobody Does It Better. He might not be wrong. It is Coldplay. It is Everything's Not Lost, which I think could be the closing track on Parachute, their debut record. Um, A song I've always had a bit of a soft spot for. And for me, and listener, you probably, I I, I hope we're all on the same page here. This is unquestionably Roger Moore era, right? It has to be. Like, this is, like, (laughs) it's got that playfulness. slowing down slightly and just (laughs) having fun with it. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's got the playfulness. It's got, like, a bit of joie de vivre. It's got a little bit of, I think there's optimism and hope in here, uh, you know, made kind of plainly by the lyrics and the the eventually lifting guitar. But it's also a bit sad. There is some melancholy. And again, I'm going to keep saying this, but, like, the credits. I can see, like, I can see the the British flag, you know, like the fucking the parachute <laughs> and like you know stuff coming over it and just the titles coming together and like you know Roger Moore as Ian Fleming's 007 in, you know, I don't know everything's not lost or something. I mean, it might be a bit too optimistic for Bond, but I figure that this is this is coming off like his wife getting killed at the end of that movie. I think it was Honor Majesty's Secret oh, Service yeah. spoilers for a film yeah. from the sixties, I think. Um, but also the then optimistic. Oh, it does work in that context. Right? Yeah, narrative. It's all narrative. I, yeah, it's all I could hear. It's all I could see. Like this, this should have been that the the post that this should have been like Roger Moore's first adventure post Lazenby or whatever he did take over from Lazenby didn't he? I could be getting this terribly wrong there's probably some Bond acolytes listening who are like Alan Partridge stop getting Bond wrong but I to me it's just it has that sense of glass half full Bond but also he's going to smash that glass and cry at the end of the movie yeah I am surprised they haven't been asked although do many big kind of bands get asked it just seems like I don't know would they consider Chris Martin's voice to be almost too recognisable to the extent that I don't know it might detract or something they've written yeah they do have songs where you're just like as as the clip was playing I was kind of signalling that kind of piano thing where he does have those jazzy inflections where it just kind of works in that vein and then the simple guitar line does tie in with that kind of heritage and tradition of the twangy guitar the sim- simple kind of motifs 
I can see in that context this working and it's a complete left field one I did not expect. Um, yeah, yeah, I like this one. Okay, my next one um, is, well, there was two, right? But um, I'm going to let you pick, and actually it's probably an easy choice, right? So there's two clips here. It's, you know, a certain songwriter behind both. Um, there's a song you will already know and you probably might expect me to pick. There's a newer discovery, but I think both will illustrate why this man should have at least written one Bond song at this point. Because I think in terms of like British songwriters, he is the guy that would get it the most, bring the lyrical game, bring the kind of like bulletproof melodies. And he's already working in that genre with some of his side projects. So do you want a, a kind of clip we know and love or do you want something new that I think is I would like great? the newer discovery, please. I'm glad you, yeah. <laughs> I might have been shoving you in that direction. I was going there anyway, but you certainly <laughs> yeah. did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> point it's um the artist is alexandra savior uh, have you an inkling of the co-writer on this track and i don't want to put the spotlight too much on him which i just clearly did but like <laughs> because a lot of her stuff is very bondy anyway and people have said as a kind of you know voice she would totally suit this kind of thing uh my guess is that the co-writer is alex turner 100 percent. and my <laughs> guess and my second guess is that your other clip was miracle aligner by the oh, last shadow no Bones. that was on the short list oh, no, no it was my mistakes were made for you <laughs> <laughs> that vibraphone at the start it totally mm. works and as you know um remember previously interviewing miles kane who was in that band last shot of puppets and like that came up of like me kind of saying, would you want to do a Bond song? I feel like you and Alex have like written a few kind of already. And he's like, yeah, we kind of have and like tried <laughs> to do it. And he's, Alex Turner said in interviews, he'd love to do it. I think he'd kind of get it, right? Like he I gets think so. that kind of sultry yeah, but intelligent so. thing. Um, that throwback 60s thing, kind of Scott Walker-ish. And this was actually a new discovery for me. And she's got a couple of songs that she did with him from I think a 2017 album, which is worth checking out. She's only got two. I can't remember. Belladonna of Sadness. Um, and yeah, she's fantastic in her own right. I'd say check out both of her albums. I've been enjoying them this week. But yeah, I think give that man, even if it, he isn't the featured artist, just let him in the writer's room because he will come, come up with a classic, I think. I think he's perfectly pitched for that kind of thing. No, yeah, I agree. Um, again, not one I thought of, but it makes so much sense, uh, especially even with recent Arctic Monkeys work. And obviously, uh, even like even the, what was the what was the what was the first last shadow puppet single? Because that was very orchestral. Oh, the sweeping. age of the understatement. Which, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's a bit more like, Russian, though. That would be like a kind of <laughs> well, Russian equivalent of Bond, it's like a KGB film. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe For Russian will love. I don't know. Uh, keeping it keeping it British for uh, for my for my number three. Um, <laughs> so. So um, you may have the kind of, the kind of counterpoint to this one in your list. I guess we'll see if that comes up. But here's a band that uh, apparently were tasked and wrote and recorded a theme, and it was rejected for a pretty bad song that would go on to win an Oscar. This isn't that song. It's a famous song by the band, which has appeared in films. And the more I thought of it, the more I thought 
the real downbeat moodiness of this could lend itself beautifully well to probably the Daniel Craig era, but we'll have a listen. It's Radiohead, and the song is Everything in Its Right Place, which is... A daring choice. Thank you. Uh, It is I Wanted to Be Daring. It is the opening track to Kid A, which is my favourite Radiohead album. It's... I remember hearing the song in Vanilla Sky in the opening kind of stretch of that movie, and Mm. I was completely blown away. Um, I think this is a song that all the cliches should be should be unearthed, like hypnotic, mesmerising, because it is. Uh, It's a magic spell, and... It's lo-fi as fuck, of course. It's repetitive as hell and doesn't follow a traditional structure, really. And, you know, could be seen as depressing to some people, but I find it actually <laughs> very uh, weirdly full of life. And, yeah, I just thought, like, like it was between this and it was between, I guess I'll say it now, maybe it'll be in Craigslist, who knows. But I was, the one that I bounced out of this list was uh, Sour Times by Portishead, which I which I think is such a Bond theme. I also bounced that. Did you? And, yeah. The more I, I thought you to might it, have it. Fuck. <laughs> the more I listened to it, was like it's it's a bit like it's a, an absolutely incredible song. But for a Bond song, mm. I think it uses a sample of like a some other spy film goes goes underneath. So it felt a bit like spy themes are eating themselves. Sure. And actually, that was one where I thought the lyrics were almost too downcast. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I thought so too. And also, I mean, like it has those beautiful conspiratorial guitars going for it, but it also yeah. to me felt almost like something that should be playing in the background in like Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels, which I think it actually might. But nonetheless, <laughs> uh, I just thought I didn't have, ju- I, I thought it was lacking a little bit of heft. So naturally I chose this weird flatline Radiohead song, <laughs> which I absolutely <laughs> Door. This is this is an example of you clearly thinking visually because with all that glitchiness yeah. going on, I know hundred percent you were thinking. You of can those see the same title yeah, screens yeah. I can, and also you can, and also here, here's my here's my take right that I'm coming up with right now on the spot, uh, and it has happened in films like it happens in Skyfall, but like let's say Bond gets shot right, gets shot in the fucking chest, they don't think he's going to make it, and he's being like they're they're giving him like like they're 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 compressing his chest or whatever, and like you know they're it looks really bad, and you cut to. You, the camera cuts to the the heart monitor, and he flatlines, and the flatline goes in and changes color into like red or something, and that comes onto the big screen. And it's the Radiohead logo, and, <laughs> and then you have like the opening, just the fucking hell, perfect, right? It's perfect. I fucking nailed it. Thank yeah. you. All all the song needs is that like big brassy moment where it goes. <laughs> you can do that, but, you, but my take is that you, you can easily add that you, at the end yeah, to close yeah, the credits. Yeah, there's an outro, outro thing going patient, in where it, and yeah, it's like, it's, and again, but think of some of the crap that audiences have sat through. You're there anyway. You've bought your ticket. You're munching <laughs> into your popcorn. Just fucking enjoy it. Enjoy this four minute Radiohead downbeat misery number. <laughs> He's going to win I'm the gonna, in the end. <laughs> I'm going to totally switch it up now and go for like a, a pretty pop song that's kind of light and is very 90s. I think it would be perfect. Maybe even late Timothy Dalton, early Brosnan. And the reason I'm picking this 
I don't know if it'll make sense to anyone else. Um, actually, no. Hold on a second. I've got a tweet that backed me up because I was like, oh, am I losing my mind? Because this is the first song I thought of. Okay. Because this has been in my head for maybe 10 years as somehow working as a Bond song. Can I just say, by the way, while um, you're touching yeah. the tweet, I, I love that Connery's not getting a look in, by the way. Too problematic for us, <laughs> unless he appears later on. Who knows? Um, well, we mentioned his proxy slightly when we discussed <laughs> Skyfall. Um, but yeah, I found one solitary tweet that had the, the name of this song and Bond in it. And it was at Sweetie Nigb back in 2012 saying, the music when Bond is escaping from City Hall down the ladder sounds like this song, hashtag a view to a kill. And I was like, oh, wow. So there is some Bond linkage. And I don't know, here's the clip. You exclaimed, Dave, I did. Samson Archer's Sleeping Satellite, which was a hit in you've, a, um, it's of its own right, yeah. You, you've hit me kind hard, man. Off. Like, this, is, this is a song that, like, I associate this so much with my youth and with, like, listening to the radio at night in my bedroom. And I, I have a weird... I it's a gorgeous have, song. It's beautiful, but I have a weird... There's a weird sadness there. And, like, as soon as it came on, I was like, oh, this is, this is genius. <laughs> this is a genius pick. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I think it's the lyrics, right? It's all the kind of I blame you and blah. I think it's very that kind of Bond song where it's like, you know, nobody does it better, but you're a piece of shit and just like everything's kind of going to go wrong. And I think you wouldn't have to change the lyrics too much to make it a Bond song. I think it's ostensibly about like the Cold War and like the kind of the, the race to get to the moon or something. There's a lot kind of going on. But, you know, James Bond was a creation of the Cold War and all that kind of stuff. So that kind of works. And yeah, it's like wistful, but romanticizing. It's also, yeah, as I say, I think it has to fit into a particular era of maybe breezier bonds where there's again that hope. It's an era of, you know, Seals Kiss from a Rose featuring in films and stuff. And I don't know what it is. I don't know how it got stuck in my head as this should be a Bond song many, many years ago, but it stuck with me. So it was my first on the list, but not my number one, obviously. <laughs> uh, no, it's a beautiful selection. And now I'm now I'm annoyed that I didn't pick Crazy by Seal in, in, in my fucking top five because I should have. <laughs> one of my favorite songs ever. Uh, oh, yeah. Beautiful choice, Craig. Um, OK, so I mentioned that I had a recurring theme in... My number four, my number three, my number two. And it's that they all have the word everything in the song title, which is completely coincidental. Uh, here is my runner up. I may have picked this song for a top five before. I can't recall if I did or if I didn't. But to me, this is one of the greatest songs of like the last 15 years and not enough people listen to it. And it really, really captivates me when I sit down and actually go through all six minutes of it. So here is a modern classic, in my opinion.
uh, Charlotte Gainsbourg there. Charlotte Gainsbourg. Tearing our hearts out with Everything I Cannot See, which I think is the second track on her 555 record from 2006, I believe, uh, which I bought on compact disc on the strength of this song. Um, I, it just has everything that I would I, I would want from a Bond theme. Uh, once again, I think we're discovering in this list that perhaps a woman's voice maybe does make for a more kind of heartfelt and a more kind of the, the nice counterpoint. Yeah, the counterpoint yeah. contrast to the whole Bond thing. Uh, the lyrics are amazing. I mean, you heard them there, but even like there's a part earlier in the song where she's like, and I love you now as I loved you then, but this island life just had to end. But you will always be my special friend. I will carry you with me and we can love again. And you just think about all the women in Bond's life, man, which in fairness is like a notoriously bad part of the franchise for a lot yeah. of reasons. Like there's a lot there's a lot of dead women in this fucking series. And like, even, when, even when they try to be progressive with it, they still fuck it up. And like it's very common for... It's a gesture kind of thing. Bond's or, motivation yeah, yeah. to be, oh, they killed my latest love interest or whatever. But there's just some something absolutely stunning about this song even out of context of the potential the potentiality I suppose of it being a Bond theme but it has even those like the like like every time I hear this song I picture Charlotte Gainsbourg sitting at this ornate piano and like you know a drummer in the background and a few other musicians kind of just like scattered about the place but they all kind of fade away and she's there and she's just on this powerhouse run the piano is amazing the drums are beautiful it has the big lift it has you know, like, again, if you want to throw brass on it, fine. But it has the crescendo, it has the build, it has the burst, it has the break. And it has, once again, different visual screen this time. But like, I can, I can, I can, I can see it perfectly. It would never happen. They would never give Charlotte Gainsbourg the Bond theme song as long as she lives. She should be in a film. She should be in a Bond film yeah. challenging Bond. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> She'd be a great villain. Um, or, or, yeah. or, or, oh, man. or a great M or something. But uh it's a, it, it's a powerhouse of a song and like I've listened to it a bunch this week and I haven't listened to it in a while and it, it knocked me out all over again. I think it's one of the great love songs. It's just full of everything, all elements. And yeah, I think it, I think it works perfect. I, I think James Bond would be lucky to have this <laughs> opening his film. She certainly comes from that like lineage, not to, okay, I'm going to have to mention Surge. Um, you love mentioning you know, Surge. <laughs> I do. And that 60s music is like where that kind of famous Bond sounds come from, comes from that kind of big thing. So she can, she can do that really easily. As you say, it would never happen. It would, can you imagine the great British, British public <laughs> reacting to news that a French woman was going to be singing Bond song? Um, Piers Morgan would defense trade himself. So yeah, it should happen. Yeah, it should I definitely agree. happen. That'd be a great thing. Great choice. Okay. My number one is, um, definitely the most obvious pick. So you're not going to be shocked by this one, but I think this would work. This actually brings full circle my list though, because, you know, we're, we're now living in a world where Seven Nation Army has been a Bond song and Jack White has not featured on uh, Quantum of Solace soundtrack. And what we're getting instead is Bond entering the abyss in, I think, the first part two in a kind of Bond um, film sequel and this kicks in Amy Winehouse, uh, yeah, instant number one, 
jazziness, the brass, her, of course, like the air to some of those huge voices and big personalities. And yeah, of course, I mean, she was lined up to do um, Quantum of Solace and it didn't happen uh, because of various reasons that were going on with her at the time uh, before her sad passing. But yeah, uh, I think David Arnold opened up about it and said, we had a track and everything. Uh, I thought she should write the lyrics, which she did. We're working on it. It was sounding great. And this is me paraphrasing, but Mark Ronson was, of course, involved and were layering stuff. And yeah, then it didn't happen. And remember at the time she was outraged at the way it had kind of fallen apart. And she was very disparaging about um, the clean cut kind of by committee Jack White being shoved together with Alicia Keys thing, which I, I kind of agree with. Like it was, yeah, a weird pairing, a kind of like a superhero crossover, but like a DC specific one where it's just like, this doesn't quite work. Um, but she totally would have worked and she would have eventually done one and it would have been amazing. Um, like her whole musical style just fit into this universe. And I think certainly with the Daniel Craig stuff as well, where you're trying to update the franchise and keep it kind of, you know, a great British institution. I think she kind of did that, right? She was spearheading a really exciting time for British music while still harkening back to kind of the retro vibes, but just doing something different, being a bit more open and personal with it. And yeah, I mean, an obvious choice. Uh, people might have different Amy Winehouse songs they would like to hear, but this was the one I always think of in those well, credits. I mean, you say obvious choice and like I wasn't necessarily wondering what was going to come next or I had a, had a banker in my mind, but like sometimes the obvious choices are are there because of that reason. And yeah, it's like... God, it's it's such a shame, isn't it? I mean, yeah, obviously, there's much yeah. bigger like sadness is attached to the Amy Winehouse story, of course, and like not getting to do a Bond theme. Who cares? But like, what a symbolic of, I yeah, guess, as well. <laughs> but it, it would have left her mark in like like a very interesting way, and I'm sure the song would have fucking ruled. Yeah, it's a it's a real pity. What a talent, and yeah, just a fucking horrendously sad story to this day. And for my number one, as I awkwardly pivot away from grief and grimness um i will i will leave you on a melancholic note though um i think craig knows what this is i think several listeners will know what this is but (laughs) it begins and ends for me with this man and this song someone just to cool your blood could you in all of music it is of course uh, Hamilton Lighthouser and the song is called 5am it is the opening track to his 2014 album Black Hours that was his first solo album he would of course go on to work with Rostam on his second one and then deliver another third solo album there a year and a bit ago um, wonderful 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 stuff I love it so much I love it so much Craig that um, uh, I've gone back and if you'll if you'll indulge me uh, you have many a time I'm sure you will again go ahead go on <laughs> uh, I wrote uh, when I was writing for Drowned in Sound back in 2014 when this album came out and I wrote the review of it and just to show you how committed I've been to this bit yeah go on here's my hear opening here's my opening three paragraphs from my review my 7 out of 10 review of Black Arrows <clears throat> Hamilton Lighthouser wrote a Bond theme, kinda. 
5am, the searching near mournful beginning to black hours may not have been commissioned by those who hold the keys to the 007 estate, but it's a note-perfect fit for those iconic opening titles. Few wield melancholy and cynicism as well as Lighthouser, fewer still seduce with such states of mind. As frontman for the Walkmen, gone for now, he often peppered his words with barbs, confident in their delivery and surroundings. Smoke was currency for the towering New York native. Unsurprisingly, the first few minutes of his own solo debut form a cloud of portent. Do you wonder why I sing these love songs when I have no love at all? He practically sneers against a naked piano that eventually segues into an arresting string section and careful percussive march. On top of it all, Lighthouser looks down, brooding, questioning our ability to dream and find solace. They'll thank me in the end, he promises. 5am ultimately forgoes the kind of kiss-kiss-bang-bang crescendo that usually propels the sharp-suited dealer of death and one-liners into the next reel, instead landing with poignant restraint. I stand by those words. I stand by those words. What a song. It's stunning. It's only three and a half minutes long. It... It's such a great kiss off. There's such a world to it. Uh, Yeah, I know we said, you know, sometimes male vocals don't cut it, but this isn't one. This is a lighthouser, baby. Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a different vintage. <laughs> yeah. Could just give him the job at some point, please. Again, God. again. Broccoli family. Not not a big enough name, but like, you know. Y- Apparently Daniel Craig has huge sway. I was reading a Billy Irish thing where it was just like, if he doesn't like the song, it's not happening. I was like, oh, wow, well, okay. Yeah, that, I suppose so. That, yeah, that, that sounds a bit right. Um, but yeah, it's just whether it's Bjork or whether it's a Hamilton Lighthouser or a Charlotte Gainsbourg or a Kalela they're probably going to go with the big star. And I understand that. It's part of the whole razzmatazz. But, you know, at the same time, I mean, really? Writings on the Wall by Sam Smith? Is that really what we want? <laughs> we um, finally mention it. <laughs> well, it won the Oscar. You know what it beat for the, you, yeah. you, you know what song it beat for the Oscar that actually should have won? Fifty Shades of Grey should have won an Oscar that year. Here's why. Because The weekend and, oh God, what was it called? I can't believe I'm blanking on this. Uh, earned it. I think it's called Earned It. Oh, sorry. Um, Gorgeous song. Oh my God. It is called Earned It. Yeah, 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 it is Earned It. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Hold uh, on a second. Don't know that how it goes. <laughs> I can sing it if you want to. No? Greg doesn't want oh, me Oh, sorry. To... Yeah, go sing it. Please sing it. I'm not going to sing it. Actually, I think I think Sonic Architect Adam is going to spare my blushes. I think he's getting it. He's, he's going to drop it in right now. But girl, you're perfect. You know you're worth it. You've always earned it? Is that in there possibly? Hold on, hold on. <laughs> Greg, Greg's looking it up. Adam. Oh no, there's an ad. <laughs> it's a disaster. <laughs> this is disastrous podcasting. Imagine this was live. That's it. Stunning. Could be a Bond theme. Yeah, yeah. You make it look like it's magic. Oh yeah, I see nobody, nobody but you. I'm never amazing, absolutely amazing. And somehow, writings on the wall from Spectre beat that to the Oscar. There's no justice, Craig. No justice There's whatsoever. Not. There's no justice like James Bond justice, which usually involves shooting a man in the face and quipping about it afterwards. And that was our top five this week. I enjoyed that quite a lot. That was a trill ride. Well, it should be. Better than, apparently, the new Bond film. Are you going to go see it? I will check it out. 
Oh, yeah. I, 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 maybe I, in the cinema. I kind of don't want to spoil <laughs> this. Maybe a Christmas. I kind of. I'm going to spoil this. Uh, I will say because there's a weird no encore tie-in in a way. Um, so if you don't want any spoilers, what well, this, this isn't necessarily plot spoilers. It's nothing huge. But if you don't yeah. want to know, skip ahead about a minute or two. So you know how I'm obsessed with. I think we're all obsessed with the Blaze and Territory, yes. like the greatest video of the last five years. One of the great songs, outstanding. The actor from that video is like the lead henchman in No Time oh, to Die. I couldn't believe it. Like Mick turned to me and he was like, that's the guy from fucking the Territory video. And I was like, I don't think it is because he's a bit leaner now or something. Um, and, and then like four scenes later, I was like, it is him. So both myself and Mick, and I assume any fans of The Blaze in that video, just very happy for him. You know, what a cool yeah, thing. Yeah. Does a good job, I presume. He does a great job. Best, yeah. best thing in it. <laughs> Probably the best thing in it. Anyway, so that's... Uh, is Daniel Craig in it? Is he like, is it over? Is you know what I mean? Is it? Well, I'm not going to spoil anything, but I will say, well, we know it's over because he's said numerous times, like, you know, this is my oh, last yeah, one. Know, but oh, no, at no, this no. stage, he must be. Well, considering he was. Older than Roger Moore was. Really. <laughs> is he like 50? Maybe not quite. Um, it's ma- do you know, it's mad to think that Daniel Craig is now older than Jonathan Price was when he was in a Bond film. That's fucking weird. Um, Isn't it? I don't know if that's true, but it sounds like it could be. I think he's very good in it. <laughs> um, I think, you know, it's weird because, like, in, in no way do you, like it's Daniel Craig he's a very attractive man but he certainly like you know he looks long in the tooth at this stage like it is very much clear the end of a five film 15 year run uh gives it his all you know it's it, it's a fitting send-off that isn't a spoiler it's well known that he's not coming back and they are going to cast a new one next time um I'm very curious to see what they do about that but I, I I think it was I I think it was a very good performance I think he's committed enough to be there he apparently didn't want to be there because after Spectre, he was like, I'm trying to get out of this contract. They won't let me. Um, I think he also had a quote where he said he'd rather slit his throat than do another one. I, I assume he was just very tired. You know, we all get very tired. Yeah. But yeah. Um, no. You don't want to outstay your way. welcome as well. No. He's done a great and, job. And he didn't. But I do think that the last two films have been markedly mediocre. So there you go. Okay. Go enjoy the Bond movie, everybody. Uh, <laughs> and our own... Like our own incredible secret agent, our own wonderful uh, besuited assassin who steals into the night every week for us is the wonderful, the one, the only Sonic Architect Adam Shanahan, who has produced this show this week. Woo. Oh, he just gave us. You missed that day. I did. No, down. no, I saw it. He got out of his chair and he did the Bond turn the and shoot Bond's at the camera. Turn and shoot. It was very good. And a very bit alluring. Yeah, it was a bit aggressive, but you know, there's no need for that. Uh, it's patreon.com slash noancore. If you feel the need to support this show, we'd love to hear from you on there. Of course, you get weekly previews, you get playlists. Uh, I, I think you're going to drop that Kid Cudi playlist next week, Craig. Is that correct? Maybe with a few paragraphs. Yep. Yeah, let's do it. Um, um, that's coming next good. week. Next week, look out for that. Excellent stuff. Um, and I might even put together just this 10-track playlist of alternative Bond themes because I think where else are you going to get these 10-tracks smashed together? So I'll get that out next week as well on patreon.com slash noancore. If you want to help support the show, the price of a pint, the price of a copy of Empire Magazine, whatever, however you deduce the figures, uh, it's up to you. Please give generously if you love the show. And most importantly, tell your friends, leave reviews, all that kind of stuff. But for now, my name is Dave Hanready. His name is Craig Fitzpatrick. Licensed to podcast. There'll be no encore. Goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.